1: The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed your weekend. Hope you stayed safe. Hope you're uh, being kind to everyone around you, because I think uh, more than anything, uh, everybody in America needs a little bit of kindness right now. Um, Crazy times. And uh, I know sports might seem like not the biggest thing in the world to a lot of people, but hopefully we can kind of entertain you and, and give you a little bit of escapism over the next hour plus with some booze. And some football talk. We're going to be going through all the draft classes uh, from the NFC South, which I know the draft was a long time ago. But hey, we're we're getting through it, We're working through it one one division at a time. It's taken us a while, but uh, you know when you kind of have to watch every single player in the draft or at least ninety five percent of them, it could take a little while. So uh, I'm going to introduce my lovely co host here, EJ Snyder. Uh, EJ, before we get into talking about all these different draft classes, first, how are you doing, and what are you drinking? I'm hanging in there. Like you said, it is
1: unprecedented in terms of what's going on in the country. And I'll echo your sentiment that a little bit of kindness will go a long way no matter who you are, no matter where you are. So I hope you guys are practicing that. Uh, Brett and I took a week off to just sit and listen because we both think that's probably the most valuable thing going right now is some good, solid, active listening. And uh, what am I drinking? I went local. Uh, We have not been going to Costco. Uh, We just haven't been since this whole first grenade went off in society, uh, COVID-19, and uh, went back this time. Uh, First time in about three months, probably since February, and their entire beer aisle has been transformed into local, which I really support. Uh, Living in the Pacific Northwest, we have lots of good options, but my wife was able to get me a case of Hale's Ales. Hale's one of my favorite breweries out of Seattle, and tonight I have their Super Goose IPA. They make a Mongoose IPA, which is their regular version. The Super Goose is the uh, sort of upgunned, almost double IPA version, 7% by volume, so little hefty on the alcohol, Uh, 72 IBUs for those beer snobs out there um, who want bitter and has a really nice balance, really nice flavor, some malt to it to kind of balance out that bitterness so it's not one of those uh, bitter beer face IPAs, Uh, but I love just about everything Hales puts out and decided to go local, um, support the home city and uh, drink one of these tonight. So what do you have to drink to wash away uh, any bad taste from... Oh, I don't know. Anything. Looks, Everything. Looks vaguely around <laughs> at 2020 and goes, wash away whatever you want. It's uh, it's all a dumpster fire.
0: Well, first things first, uh, balanced IPA. Who knew that was possible? Jesus. Oh,
1: well, most of the people in Seattle, but okay, whatever.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, clearly uh, you guys are a little bit ahead of the Southern California craft. I mean, San Diego is the one exception, but man. Uh, oh, come on. You got stone are, are, in San Diego. I man. know, but... It's still two hours away from me, and nah, the, the local local IPA selection here says Not the guy the
1: says the guy that's getting mailed booze from Virginia and Colorado. It's two hours
0: away, he says. Yeah, that's what I'm drinking tonight. Ironically <laughs> enough, uh, I, I I got a bottle of uh, Breckenridge Bourbon. If any Colorado residents listening to this podcast are familiar with it, um, they are a craft distillery out of obviously Breckenridge, Colorado. Um, And I got mailed this as a birthday present from a buddy a little while back. And it is a high rye bourbon. And if if you're not really sure about what that means, so bourbon uh, legally can only be called bourbon if it is over 50% corn in the mash bill. And it has to be aged in brand new charred oak barrels. A high rye bourbon bourbon. Is still technically bourbon. Uh, you know, the mash bill for this one's 56% corn, so it's over that 50% threshold, but it's 38% rye. Ooh. So it's a lot spicier than a normal uh, bourbon. You get a lot of those kind of baking spice notes on the front end, and then it kind of washes away into that classic vanilla, caramel sweetness on the finish. Um, and, you know, this is my, my first offering I've ever had from this distillery, and they did a phenomenal job. Eventually, I want to work my way to uh, their port cask finish of this bourbon because I love me some port cask finishes. But man, they did a hell of a job with this thing. Um, I haven't had a whole lot of high rye bourbons in my collection, so I'm happy to have this one. And ooh, It is damn good. So if you get a chance, uh, grab some Breckenridge bourbon. Highly, highly recommended. But all that being said, let's kind of hop into the NFC South here. And uh, we're going to start with the Carolina Panthers who went all defense. And I can't remember the last time I saw a team with seven or more draft picks and spend them all on one side of the ball. But Carolina did it. Um, They had some problems on defense last year. Huge depth issues. I felt like their secondary was talent deficient. Um, You know, their front four, or rather their front seven, really good at getting after the passer, but their run defense, um, I felt like not at the second level, but at the first level, they got pushed around a little bit and really put their linebackers in bad spots at times last year. So they upgraded um really everywhere <laughs> that they that they had problem spots especially with run defense and especially with their nickel package i felt like they needed more corners so let me read off their list of names here cuz i i love everything they did about uh about fixing this defense they had Derek brown 7th overall yitor Grosmatos, uh really Phenomenal pass rusher out of Penn State. They got all the way in round two. I thought he was going to go in round one. Uh, their second second round pick. They got Jeremy Chin, favorite of the show, a kind of hybrid safety linebacker, box enforcer, destroyer of worlds type guy from Southern Illinois. Troy Pride, another favorite of the show. They got in round four, corner out of Notre Dame. Round five, Kenny Robinson, uh, kind of hybrid uh, safety with some corner skills out of West Virginia. Uh, round six, Bravion Roy, a uh, favorite of EJ, uh, DL out of Baylor. And then round seven, Stanley Thomas Oliver III, a corner out of Florida International, which I did not watch, but EJ did. So we'll kind of roll through this uh, one at a time. Again, as I mentioned, their their run defense was a little bit lacking last year, not because of the second level. Their linebackers were fine, but their actual interior defensive line got pushed around a little bit. And so they went out and tried to fix that problem with Derek Brown, who is a monster of a human being, just unbelievable power, eats double teams for breakfast. Uh, as a pass rusher for a guy his size, he's better than most. Um, I think he's, he's definitely a pocket collapser, can definitely do a lot of work for you on stunts and games and stuff like that. But, you know, one, one of their big problems last year was teams could run the ball on them in between the tackles. And I think Derek Brown immediately fixes that problem.
1: Yeah, they're going to have a lot tougher time with Derek Brown Manning in the middle. He is, as you mentioned, multi-talented, uh, very good against the run, huge human being, big wingspan, just a big-bodied guy, square-shouldered guy, huge legs, big rump, like the guy you want in the middle of a line, making sure that you know that two to three yard wide box that he's in, and and quite. Frankly, a little bit wider because he's got good mobility too for a big guy. He's not um, one of those guys we've talked about in our former previews that just stands there and you know eats double teams. He can move at that size and does uh, good flexibility, pretty live. It's it's interesting to me about Carolina that the whole defense is going to be new, and and I don't mean that literally. Not every player, but. Seven of their top eight players close to it, yeah, exactly. Seven of their top eight players in games started from the defense last year are gone. That's a that's more turnover than you see on a typical NFL unit. Um, and everybody with Matt Rule coming to town as the head coach and you know importing Teddy Bridgewater and talking about CMC and the receivers they picked up in free agency and everybody's talking about the offense and the defense is going to have a very new look again in that sort of front four and back four component. Um, So we're going to see some massive change there, but starting with the building block of Derek Brown in the middle seems like a really safe bet. He was one of the safer players I think in this draft and he's going to have that impact might not have a huge
0: box score every
1: week, but he is going to affect opponents game plans.
0: And the big thing is they're going to be running three down fronts. They're going to be running four down fronts. Like it's going to be a very multiple defense, which ironically last year's first round pick for them, Brian Burns, I think fits that because he can play uh, standing up or he can play with his hand in the dirt. Um, And Brown as a nose tackle, isn't just a typical, you know, straight up zero technique nose tackle. You can put him at three technique and be fine. You can put him at five technique and be fine. Like he can play really any spot between five and zero and that kind of front versatility means that they can get really, really creative um, and combining that with their second round pick, Ytor Grosmatos and their last year's first round pick, uh, first round pick, excuse me, Brian Burns, um, the athleticism, not to mention K1 short that they already have. They have Steven Weatherly too. I mean, the athleticism in this defensive line slash outside linebacker rotation is just absurd. And I do want to highlight Gross Matos a little bit because I had him as my second-ranked pass rusher in this entire draft class. I-, I thought he was going to be a top 15 to 16 kind of guy. He ended up slipping into the second round. I'm still not 100% sure why because when I look at the availability of edge rushers in this class, other than Chase Young, nobody else had Gross Matos' combination of size, length, power, hip fluidity, um, you know, motor. I, I I really, really loved him. And, you know, was the technique clean all the time? No. But when you saw him really put it together, there wasn't anybody, regardless of, of whatever school he was playing against. I mean, he whooped Ohio State's ass. Like, there was nobody that could stop him when he put it all together.
1: Yeah, that was what we talked about in our preview shows with the guy we'll call YGM. Um, Eater is one of those guys that you see sort of at least one thing on each rush and on the rushes where you see two or three things in concert, you go, whoa, (laughs) uh, there's just not (laughs) that many guys that can do that. And really his addition, we talk about stables and increasing sort of firepower or diversity in like wide receiver cores and running back groups, duos and trios. And, I kind of look at YGM's addition to Carolina the same way in terms of their group of rushers. They've now got Brian Burns, who we talked about a little bit, came on like wildfire before he got hurt last year, tailed off a little bit. But if he comes back fully healthy, like that's the A1 in your arsenal for pass rush. But Mm -hmm. adding a guy with YGM skills feels like building out the rest of that stable, right? A little bit more power than burns a little bit less speed and burn um steven weatherly a favorite of mine um who came from the vikings this year in free agency but i think is one of those guys that's kind of on the tipping point could have a much better season this year christian miller who a lot of people forget about um fa obata marquise haynes who's a person not many people have Heard about, but I was pretty hot on him when he came out in the draft. All of a sudden, you look at these guys Burns, Weatherly, Miller, Obata, Haynes, you add Gross Matos to that. You've got a lot of different ways to come after teams and enough players in that rotation that you can swap them out, keep people fresh, and really come at teams from different angles, uh, different approaches, stack two guys on one side with power. Um, you know, get really wide nine, get two guys with sort of speed and bend, but not a lot of power. There's, there's just a lot of variation in the way that you can come after teams. And if you're locking down the middle with guys like Derek Brown and Quan short, uh, you're, you're looking pretty good.
0: And you can just keep rotating and rotating and rotating and all these guys are going to be fresh. So by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, I mean, those left tackles and right tackles are going to be dog-tired. And here's this dude who's played 20 snaps all game at 100% as a flamethrower coming off the edge. I mean, if you're behind against Carolina, good luck. Like, you have to jump out on top of them, or or you're, you're kind of screwed at this point.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want to try and throw, like you said, deep and late in the fourth against that many guys, knowing that the middle is going to be solid and that sort of late draw is not available to you with the regularity that it was last year. Um, you know, you're trying to run over Derek Brown with a, you know, third and seven draw to keep the drive alive. Have fun with that. Yeah. It's not, (laughs) it's not what I would call setting yourself up for success. So I like what Carolina did with the front of that defense, and then after that, they really pivoted, right? As soon as they got to their second, second round pick and went with Jeremy Chin, turns out that four of their next five picks uh, are secondary guys. They went Jeremy Chin, Troy Pride Jr., Kenny Robinson, uh, Bravion Roy is another defensive lineman, and then they skipped and went Stanley Thomas Oliver the third. So made a pretty strong statement that, hey, we want some secondary talent. We want some size. You talked about them being a little bit talent deficient in the secondary. All those guys are big. Which is pretty interesting. We'll talk about Chin first. Um, Chin's an interesting guy. So, like you said, he played at Southern Illinois. Um, He is, uh, you know, very solidly sized uh, 6'3, 212. Moves very well, super fluid, not afraid to hit people. Uh, if I have any limitations on his game, he's got good football sense, crazy measurables. But if there's an adjustment, it's going to be adjustment, a level of competition. Southern Illinois doesn't exactly play, um, you know, world beaters. I had, uh, <laughs> I had some tape uh, that a friend of yours actually sent me on Jeremy Chin because one of our listeners had asked me to look in on him specifically. And I was all excited. I was like, oh, SDSU, man, San Diego State, that's awesome. (laughs) Nope, South Dakota State. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) so, you know, didn't play world beaters in college, but uh, was able to overcome all that certainly with uh, crazy athleticism. And again, a pretty good football sense. But the thing that worried me about his tape that he's going to have to overcome in the NFL is his processing speed. And this is the Mm -hmm. major difference between him and a guy um, that we're going to talk about later, Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, there's just a half a tick where Jeremy chin is deciding what he needs to do before he does it. And once he flips the switch, he gets there in a major hurry. And like I said, not, he's unafraid to lay the wood, which is awesome for a guy of his size. So he's got every tool in the book, but he's got to get the recognition a little bit more quickly, which is why I hope, um, like we talk about a lot of teams that Carolina has a plan for him and sort of sticks him in one position and says, learn this role, Uh, because he needs to get over that half-second hitch, because at his level, half-second hitch with his athleticism, no big deal. In the pros, difference between him making a play and a busted play for a touchdown. So how
0: quickly he overcomes that is going to be how quickly he's really, really good. I would agree with you on the processing. And to me, when I watch him, the big thing was if you are if you're if you're a safety specifically a box safety that has a lot of different responsibilities both against the pass and the run I mean you have to read keys and then immediately make a decision you have to be able to read you know formations and motions before the snap to help inform what you're going to do post snap and that way if you kind of have an idea of what's coming as soon as you hit it or as soon as you see it you can hit it and I felt like he wasn't reading as well pre-snap. And so he's a little bit slow to read post-snap sometimes, you know, and how do you fix that? It's, it's hard to, but one of the advantages that he has going to Carolina is there's somebody in the building. That's <laughs> going to be there every day. Now, who was recently announced that he's joining the staff as a pro scout. And while he's not a coach, he's still going to be around. And that's Luke Keekley One of, I think it's pretty easy to say one of the greatest football minds on defense that the NFL has ever seen. And so, you know, Luke's, one of his big things was being able to read pre-snap to inform post-snap. So if I was that coaching staff, I would say, look, Jeremy, I need you to sit down with Luke one day a week, every week, and learn. He's not in defensive meetings with you anymore. He's not a coach. But he's a resource and a resource that they have in their building. You gotta use him. And I think with his athleticism, again, if you just if you allow Luke to be a non-coaching coach for him, be a mentor for him, not to mention all the other veterans that they have there that you can learn from is Shaq Thompson, um, you know, Trey Boston. Trey
1: Boston's the one I'm thinking of.
0: You know, yeah. there, there's there's a lot of older guys that he can learn from. And there's a lot of resources, not to mention Matt Rule himself is an excellent coach who has coached special teams, offense and defense. He knows what the hell he's doing. He's a great football coach. Um, There's a lot of resources for him to get up to the level that he needs to be at. But this organization needs to commit to developing him uh, or else he's going to be another one of those athletes that's almost there, but never quite there.
1: Yeah, he's going to be making the big play, but he's not going to be making all the other plays consistently that he can. And that's the thing is it's all there for him. This is uh, Steve Atwater's nephew, by the way. Um, Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, makes a lot of sense when you watch (laughs) his game. Uh, and he's got to get to that point where he sees it before it happens and he's not there right yet. I'm not saying he can't get there. I certainly haven't spent any time with him, but you know, yeah, the, the Luke keekley one hour a week zoom meeting should be a standing off season priority for Jeremy Chin and Trey Boston's the other one, Trey Boston, one of the best deep safeties, um, certainly at reading patterns and understanding how to hand off responsibilities in the league over the last I would say five years has ended up back in Carolina and to have a guy like that for Jeremy Chin, where he can just stand behind and say, what are you seeing here? What are you doing? What's your key, uh, is going to be huge for him. The next guy on the list, Troy pride. Uh, Love we him. were both super excited when Troy pride got picked. He's a huge value guy to get a starting CB potential really in the fourth. That's rare. Uh, I had watched Troy Pride before we went to the Senior Bowl. At the Senior Bowl, he really impressed me in practice. The guy competes. He's well built. He's just under six foot. So most of these other defensive backs they grabbed are, you know, Chin's 6'3", Kenny Robinson's 6'2", Troy Pride's 5'11", but he's 194, very solidly built, lots of good experience at Notre Dame and competed against that stacked wide receiver group that we've talked about at the Senior Bowl really hard and one more reps than he lost i would say easily that's an easy statement for me to make and i came away thinking man this guy could play inside he's big enough and strong enough he could play outside he's got good technique in terms of leverage getting a guy like that in the fourth that i think can be a very solid corner in the league for a long time even if he doesn't have to step up and start right away I think he could be a starter at a number two in time. I think of a guy like Prince Mukamara. Like I think Troy Pride can grow into being that guy. Getting a guy like that in the fourth at a valued position is a huge get for Carolina.
0: I would have to imagine Dante Jackson and Eli Apple are going to be the starters, but they don't really have a third guy that's coming in a nickel. Like, who's corn elder like are we relying on corn elder to be their third guy like no like to me it's that's troy pride like he's he's going to be a starter because again you know most people are going to be playing nickel more than base these days nickel is the new base uh and their third corner on the team if you had to pick between troy pride corn elder um and i guess thomas oliver the third would be the other one in competition for that role yeah and he's more outside than than nickel just based on his size
1: so now i I just think Troy pride great pick when he went off the board. Uh, we knew he wasn't going to go super high, but I thought he might sneak into the end of the third, kind of like you thought gross Matos might sneak into the end of the middle or the end of the first, um, the fact that they got him in the fourth, uh, you know, at that point, you're just kind of looking around and going, who's worth more than this to our team? And the answer is nobody, and they picked Troy Pride, and good on him. Um, yeah, just a player I'm going to really enjoy watching. I think he's very, very solid, and Carolina fans are going to
0: enjoy him for a long time. And the thing is, he not only are his feet good, not only is he really quick and explosive, the thing that sets him apart from a lot of young corners, he knows how to use his hands. He knows how to position his hands to feel routes as they develop, which a lot of young guys, you know, they'll they'll run next to the route, but they won't put their hands on the receiver as they're going downfield. NFL DB coaches will tell you, keep contact on the receiver so you can feel the break as it's coming. So, you know, if he's running down the boundary with you, like that hand is up under the shoulder blade so that if you break down, he can feel the curl Leverage himself and stop with the route and break on it. If you don't have any contact on the receiver, he's going to stop and you're going to fly right on by him. So I love that he uses his hands so that he could feel breaks and react that much quicker. Very, very polished corner. I think he can be, as you mentioned earlier, a Chris Harris kind of guy. Not saying he's going to be a multiple time all pro like Chris Harris, but in terms of skill set, you can play him inside, you can play him outside. You know he plays bigger than his size. Really smart. Really good technique. Um, you know he's he's that kind of guy. And again, to get him in the fourth round, just just tremendous value. Um, and it, I also was a fan of the Kenny Robinson pick. He's not going to play much as a rookie. Um, you know we kind of had a discussion before the show. Is like is he a corner? Is he a safety? I think we're in agreement. He'll probably end up as a free safety with some corner skills, so if you if you want to play a little bit more base and then have a safety that can play in the slot a little bit, like I think he can do that, but his natural position is probably going to end up at free safety, learning behind Trey Boston. Would you anticipate that he's going to end up starting there maybe by like 2022 is, is like the ideal timeline?
1: Yeah, I... He had a really good run in the XFL, which is what got him the attention after he got kicked out of West Virginia for academic fraud. He's got good length, 6'2". Ability to play and track the ball in the air is really what sets him back there. And having a guy like Trey Boston, who again has been one of the best deep safeties in the NFL for the last four, maybe five years, is gold for a guy like Kenny Robinson, who showed the skills, showed the potential. He's got that center field type. Again, the cornerback-type skills, the anti-air-type skills, and in a passing league, that is a tremendously valuable combination. Great length at 6'2", the ability to track the ball in the air, um, a guy like Trey Boston to learn from. He's in a great situation. And to get him in the fifth, again, a lot of people were wondering where he was going to go because he'd gone uh, from early out of college to the XFL, showed out there again against a sort of reduced level of competition, but a lot of good guys, and a lot of former NFL guys. Um, I thought he was going to go a little bit earlier, as did a lot of other people. Um, but again, the Panthers sort of sitting, waiting, letting the draft come to them and saying, hey, we need more talent in our secondary even though they've got a guy like Trey Boston coming in free agency, stacking a guy like Robinson behind him is a very savvy play.
0: Plus, like, God forbid, you know, Trey gets hurt. Yep. you still got to have somebody on the field. And And again, he's got
1: pro starting experience, right? He started in a professional football league. Uh, you know, these rookies coming out of college can't say that. You think they're going to be good, but you haven't seen it. He's actually done it. So I think his transition, if that were to occur, would be a lot lower bump than a lot of other guys.
0: Now, I did not watch Bravion Roy or Stanley Thomas Oliver the third from Florida International. I watched the other Baylor defensive lineman whose name escapes me at the moment, but I did not watch Roy. Um, what are your takes on either of them are they really more camp body special teams guys could they ever in any sort of realistic scenario end up as starters in the next two years here
1: Uh, starters maybe not you know we are we're down in the draft and Roy has some interesting traits he's kind of an interesting body type is he a sort of heavy three or a big 5 like what and Baylor moved him around a little bit so that wasn't terribly clear but he can wreck things he is a big physical guy he's got some burst in the short area i wouldn't call him overly fast um hand usage could use some work but he is physical he is violent he does have a good punch uh you know starter i don't know valuable rotational guy uh that can take some snaps for you i think he can certainly get there um, depends on again the coaching staff and how they choose to employ him again are they going to sort of beef him up and throw him inside and make him the quicker big guy inside or are they going to sort of keep him at his current weight play him at five if they're going to play those sort of three down fronts uh or maybe even slim him down and try and make him quicker for the outside on a four down front i don't know um but he's got some talent he had some flashes on tape and again where they got him i think it's about right you get a guy that's got some potential showed some flash on tape could develop really depends on their plan but i liked him on tape i thought he was good i thought he was let's say properly drafted let's let's just let's just go with that not too early not too late like yeah that's about right for what he showed on Mm tape um and Thomas Oliver, I didn't watch much. I'd only watched highlights of, uh, I'd certainly heard about him. Guy with good size, playing corner at Florida International, was another one of these wide receiver converts. However, it was his second year at corner, not his first. Um, like Benogany at Auburn was his first year, which is amazingly impressive in the SEC. Yeah. Um, Uh, but I went back and watched him, uh, because I didn't have a good feel of him. So I watched some more game tape again. I'd watched highlights. So I went back and watched some more game tape and came away that he is kind of, um, a CJ Henderson light. (laughs) He's big. Uh, he's, you know, six foot one ninety two. He's aggressive against the ball in the air. He's not a great tackler. I would say maybe more willing, uh, than Henderson is to tackle, but not much better at it. And he's still got a traffic
0: cone getting knocked over is a more willing tackler than CJ Anderson.
1: (laughs) I'll just let you have that. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Now, uh, he made some good plays on the ball and showed some aggression on routes that are very popular in the NFL, like the slant, right? Ability to break on the slant and break that ball up. He has some of that quickness. Uh, Quickness really isn't his game. He's still learning leverage does know how to use his size can run is aggressive against the ball in the air and a guy that again is six foot 192 runs decently is aggressive that's a guy that is going to be able to play on special teams until he figures it out if he's going to be the fourth or fifth corner so probably practice squad to start but i think his openings yeah i think (laughs) i could see him moving into again that sort of fourth or fifth because he does play outside he's got the size to play outside he's got the mentality to play outside his hand usage needs a little bit which is not surprising coming from wide receiver he's not afraid to do it but he's also kind of not particularly sure what the break is between uh straight up sort of man hand jam and what do I do when I'm dropping into this zone coverage in the short flats my responsibility you sort of see him think about that but he's athletic enough and willing enough that uh, again some good technique sort of polish from a solid secondary coach he's got the ability to play there is he a is he a starter right away I I don't think maybe no but uh you know moving into that fourth or fifth you know, big outside boundary corner role. I absolutely think he could do it and he can play special teams until then.
0: So overall, this Panthers class, I, I was a big fan of, I know they had, um, some needs on the offensive side of the ball, but I think when when you look at how they're built, they're like, all right, what do we need to do to protect uh, Teddy Bridgewater? Give him a defense, give him more opportunities with the ball. Um, you know the offensive line's not great, but Teddy's usually going to get it out pretty quick anyway. They have a whole bunch of yards after catch threats, so we're going to play defense. We're going to kill clock. Uh, I, I I can see what they're doing here in, in terms of how many wins they're going to get. I'm not sure, but I I at least can see what what identity they're trying to build here and it's an identity that i happen to like a lot so i think they got at least four starters out of this class which is above average (laughs) to realistically speaking if you're getting four starters especially four starters on one side of the ball um that's way above average uh, in the nfl i
1: I just have to ask which four because i wonder if it's the same four that i'm seeing
0: brown i think gross matos by 2021 would start over weatherly sure um I think Chin is a realistic candidate to start. And then I think pride, if you're thinking nickel. I think if we're thinking nickel.
1: Yeah, I would say three. And I actually think I'd put pride before Chin in terms of how quickly he'll be ready. But I'm not gonna vote against Jeremy Chin because he has just he the guy just oozes potential, right? But he's gotta get over that tick. So
0: okay. Well it's him it's him versus I guess it would be Justin Burris and TJ green for that starting role. It's strong. Mm -hmm. And just considering his physical skill And I think I'm sure they're going to want to get
1: him on the field. I mean, they did pick him in round two, uh, which was, you know, maybe a little bit earlier, but again, they're, they're betting on potential and some teams prioritize potential more than others. And they looked at that and said, I think we can, I think we can fix that thing. And if they do look, he's got, sterling potential to be very good for a long time he's big he's fast he's fluid likes to hit like that guy sky's the limit if he can figure out if he can figure out what's coming that guy can do a lot on the football field yeah
0: absolutely um so let's move on to atlanta here who kind of weirdly enough there's like a trend with falcons drafts (laughs) where they they kind of like fly under the radar. And nobody really pays attention to him until you look back and you're like, oh, they got him and they got him and they got him. And, you know, we weren't really paying attention. Like everybody's kind of clowning them for the AJ Terrell pick, which I That's love. That's so like, wrong. AJ Terrell is my. Yeah, it's yeah. so
1: wrong. Like Terrell is such a good corner. We talked about this. Like I had Terrell way up my list and I said, what do you think of Terrell? And you said, I hadn't watched him yet. And then you went and watched him. And I remember you texting me like, dude, like Terrell's real solid. Like. I, he might end up really high in my rankings and i was like he should right i don't know why people were all over terrell and i think it was just the national game which is a bummer
0: yeah because it's it the was, only one people
1: watched it was high profile but look he's got great size he's 6'1 190 played at clemson played against a ton of good receivers and for the most part had a very good performance against most of them got burned only a couple of times in the national game and look who he was playing and here's the other headline for folks all corners get burned. The idea of a Mm -hmm. complete island corner, you know, Revis Island and Patrick Peterson never gets burned. Uh nope, that's not true. I can pull out a handful of plays where both of those guys got burned, right? Corners will lose reps. And overall, Terrell lost very few showed good athleticism at that size has a ton of experience at a high level program and he's going to a coach that helped organize the legion of boom right he understands physical players in the secondary and it's it, you know it's a great landing spot we talk about his path to playing time look one of his you know primary uh, impediments to playing time went out of town and headed up to detroit like it it's, this is a good spot, and I thought it was a really
0: good pick, and people panned it, and I was like, uh, that's weird. Yeah. He was my second-ranked corner in this class. And, and, you know, I when I did my mock draft, um, I had him, I think, going to at 17 to Dallas. Yeah. And, and you, everybody thought I was nuts. Yeah, you got jacked for that. I remember that. <laughs> and then he went one pick earlier to Atlanta, and everybody lost their damn minds. I was like, nah, you... Even when you watch that national championship game, first of all, if you're getting burned by Joe freaking Burrow and Jamar Chase, mm-hmm. like we're talking about the first overall pick, the best quarterbacks to come out in a decade, going against the closest thing I've seen to Julio Jones since Julio Jones at Bama. Like, he's going to be a top five pick next year. He, he would have been, if he was eligible this year, he would have been the first receiver drafted. So we're talking about... A, he would have been top I three think, for sure, but this was an I incredibly talented class. No, I mean Justin Jefferson was the number two, and Justin Jefferson's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yep, like that's yep. how good Jamar Chase is. And even when you look at the catches he gave up, all right, he lost one where. Um, yeah, it was close. He, it was close, but he okay. So here's here's what I'm trying to. How do I phrase this uh, without <laughs> any visual aids in podcast format? I'm used to doing <laughs> film rooms. I was going to say, I can like yeah. draw diagrams and shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's so he's he's trailing Jamar Chase. And he thought that Burrow was going to leave it um, a little bit further down the field. And so he was waiting uh, for Jamar to kind of lift his hands up so that he could kind of rake through the middle. And that just didn't happen. And so he didn't see the ball because he thought it was going to go to a certain spot that it didn't. And that, realistically speaking, when he's when he was in the position he was in on that route, no quarterback is going to try to fit it into the spot that Joe Burrow fitted into. Yeah, So he straight up did not expect the ball to be there when Jamar just turned around and boxed him out with his shoulder. And you saw AJ look around like, what the hell? Like, how, how do you make that throw? Like, I was, like, you you don't throw back shoulder when I'm leveraged that way. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I'm and right then, here, Joe. I'm what are right you doing? there. <laughs> but he did it. Yeah. And Jamar adjusted and caught it. And then on the touchdown, again, that, you saw him sagging behind because he expected back shoulder. And then Burrow just threw it upfield to the pylon He's like, what the hell am I supposed to do against this? Yeah. Like, I'm in the right spot. He's just throwing it, like, in crazy spots. And, you know, never mind the fact that he had like three or four PBUs in that game. He was following Chase around the whole time, you know. And that's what people miss about that game.
1: And I, I, that's, you know, you can talk all you want about the two completions. And yeah, one was a touchdown and a touchdown in a national championship game. Look, it carries a lot of weight. I'm good with that. But you can't say, you know, you didn't see all the other plays where he got his hands on the ball, where he did get good leverage and was in between burrow and his receiver and basically burrow had to look away and burrow's good enough to look away and maybe makes a completion across the field that's not terrell's fault that's terrell's you know bonus for being in the right position and playing proper leverage so it always kills me when people kill terrell for that game because if you look at that game if i'm grading that out as a coach i'm like dude you Played a damn good game. Even the you ones you won ninety percent of
0: the reps. Yeah, and even <laughs> the ones you
1: got beat on, you didn't get flat out beat. It wasn't like you just you know dropped your jockstrap in the middle of the field and sat down and you know took your ball and went home. You were right there, and a great quarterback made a tremendous completion. Right, it's not like you dropped the ball and. People get all over him for that game, and I, I don't understand why. So I like the pick, obviously, by Atlanta. One of my highest-rated corners in the draft. Goes to a team with a need. Path to playing time's there. Coaching staff alignment is there. I, I like what A.J. Terrell could do in Atlanta. Moving on to their second-round pick, Marlon Davidson, defensive end from Auburn. Davidson's an interesting guy. He's um He's got some real versatility, but first and foremost, he's he sort of embodies the Auburn ethos of we're going to beat you up <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You know he's
1: a big solid dude that plays with force against the run he's an edge setter um he's got some pass rush but i think he's better when he's not the sort of focus option for providing pressure he's not a primary pass rusher is what i'd say but he's a table setter yeah but you add yeah. him again looking at roster building and looking at who they have in the barn right you add that to grady jarrett Tyler Davison, and then you add, you know, Marlon Davidson
0: to that, like, ooh. Like
1: Grady Jarrett, we all know Grady Jarrett's really, really good. Tyler Davidson Dante
0: Fowler's there too.
1: Yeah. Tyler Davidson was one of the guys that when he was coming out, I said, look, this guy's a little bit undersized, but he actually plays the double team better than anybody in this class. And people said I was nuts. And I was like, <laughs> uh, some guys just got it, right? Some guys do not give up against two other players coming at them. And Tyler Davidson was that guy. He's turned that into a career. And now you add another sort of heavy like Marlon Davidson that can just sort of set that edge and make sure people have to go the other way. And don't sleep on DeAndre and Snot coming back either. His rookie year, 2018, he played 15 games. Made two starts. He had 30 tackles, 15 of them solo, two tackles for loss, and three QB hits. Last year he had a surgery. He was only in two games, and people forgot about him. Um, you look at that four you know four player rotation: Jarrett, Davison, Deioner Sonat, and now Marlon Davidson. Like Atlanta's looking
0: pretty. You, you solid know who else they the got middle. that I totally I, I that I totally didn't realize that they have. They also have Alan Bailey. Mm. True. Who is probably going to start? But Alan Bailey's—I mean, he's—is he great? No, no he's, he's a really downy, solid. Yeah, he's a downy. He's eater. really solid. He's—he's he's put together a really nice career. Uh, again, is he ever going to make the play? No, that's Grady Jarrett. But he's not going <laughs> to screw up either. Yeah, like if you just need a body you can plug in there while you're developing Davidson, giving him some reps as kind of like that fire breather. Like Alan Bailey's the guy that that'll play sixty percent of the snaps. And not lose a whole lot. So I I actually kind of like their their interior three that they've got there with at least the starting interior three with Bailey Davidson or Tyler Davidson and Grady Jarrett. And then you're rotating in Marlon Davidson, who can play up and down the front. Sonat, as you mentioned, had a really nice rookie campaign. Um, man, they have Steven Means too. I totally didn't even see that either. Steven Means is really strong. Like freakishly strong. Not no twitch, no wiggle, no anything, but he's really, <laughs> really strong.
1: Oh, I love that description. Dude's a beast. He's a, he's a tree stump. Yeah, dude's but, a beast, a, but he can't move for nothing.
0: Uh, but he, but you're not gonna move him either. Yeah, no. Which is that, valuable uh, for them. And you know they still got uh, Dante Fowler, who's probably by default their best edge rusher. If there's like one problem they still have on the roster, it's edge, because um, Tack McKinley is. OK. Yeah. Um. But in terms of the interior three and then you got Fowler to hopefully be like that 10 sack guy for you. I still think their linebacking core, um, you know, led by Deion Jones um, and they drafted Michael Walker. Who we'll talk about in a little bit like they, there's some pieces there. So um, I'm I'm kind of a fan of what they're building there. They're not there yet. I still think they're at least another offseason away from having a really, really good front seven. If not two off seasons away, um, their secondary is probably kind of the highlight of the defense for me right now with Terrell and Keanu and Ricardo Allen and um, Isaiah Oliver, who I still think has a lot of potential, even though the mm-hmm. dude never freaking turns to look for the ball, and it's super frustrating because he's right in position He doesn't look <laughs> for the freaking ball. <laughs> That's one of
1: the hardest <laughs> oh, things to oh to project. Right? Is if they don't if they don't do that one thing in college. And oh god he's right there i know and guys will play like you said with good strength with good leverage with good feet they'll be on the receiver they'll make contact like you said earlier in the podcast and they won't turn their damn head and you're like come on man come on you gotta know that like right now the balls come like turn nah. and they just they play straight through with never doing that and some guys are successful like that but the truly sort of, I would say elite corners are always people that are going to turn their head and understand where that ball is and be able to maybe make a play on it. Maybe make the PBU, you know, who knows if they're truly elite, make interceptions, but if you don't turn your head around, that's never going to happen. You're going to be one of those guys that the ball hits you in the back of the helmet. And, you know,
0: Richard Sherman's going to the hall of fame because he turns his head. Uh, a couple other reasons, but okay. but well, that's
1: one of the big ones. Yeah, no. And it is a big one for any <laughs> corner, and that's the thing. That's like, how you
0: intercept the ball. That's yeah, how you track it. You get in position, you're, you play the man, and then you play the ball. A lot of young corners, they just play the man, and they think, well, I'm in position. They're not going to throw it to me. And it's like, yeah. dude, these NFL quarterbacks, if you're in position, they're still going to target you. you got to look for the freaking ball. Yeah. If it's, you don't get your head around, people are going to pick on that. And you talked about it earlier with, with the A.J. Terrell pick,
1: you know. Folks are going to throw balls to where you're not looking if you're not looking, and
0: if you're never looking, yeah. they have a lot more options, and and that's not great. Um, yeah, moving on to the, the third round though, I will say uh, when I was talking to my buddy in the building over there, their favorite pick as a group, like their their front office's favorite pick, was Matt Hennessy. He's he's hard not to love like. Love him.
1: Yeah, he's hard not to like.
0: I They adore him.
1: Uh, he's got potential to be one of those pivot interior offensive line guys out of the 3rd, 4th, 5th round, right? He came out of the 3rd. Uh, that's just rock solid. Plays for a ton of years. Um, he was on top of a lot of the center rankings pre-draft before Cesar Ruiz made sort of a late push to the top with a little bit more versatility. And look, Hennessy moves better than one of our favorites, Lloyd Cushenberry, but Cush is the best Mm -hmm. anchoring center and really system fit kind of determined where those guys got drafted. Hennessy went five spots before Cush, but it was more about system than anything else. He's probably going to play guard when he starts. And then if Mack retires, he's going to be the eventual successor at center. And that's going to be a sort of bloodless coup. That's going to be a really easy transition Hennessy's just one of those guys that's football smart tough uh position versatile I, I can see why they love him
0: yeah he'll be competing with james carpenter and Jamon brown i would imagine for that that because i mean with his skill set you just want to get him on the field mm-hmm. you know, get your best five guys on the field yeah the best five the is, is a big comp- deal for him yeah and and he's in my opinion considering their system it's a lot of zone run um i think he's at this point a hell of a lot more nimble than james carpenter and so if you want a guard where it's like hey like there's a a five technique and we need you to be able to reach him, yeah go reach yeah you know like james carpenter's not doing that but matt hennessy could and so i think getting him at guard and also just kind of getting him on the field so that he can see how alex Mack operates Mm -hmm. Is huge because there's only so much that you know, Alex Mack, like they, they at his age, he knows what Matt Hennessy is, which is his heir apparent. But he'd better we also know that yeah, he better know. But we also know that Alex Mack is gonna teach Matt Hennessy, because Alex Mack is that kind of dude. Like he he's gonna he's not somebody who's going to not develop yeah. young players that will eventually take his job. Like he is a leader. One of the best leaders in that locker room. Um, he loves to teach. He loves developing young guys, and he's not going to be averse to sharing his knowledge, sharing his process with Matt Hennessy. And I think there's only so much that he can do in a film session to help Hennessy learn how to call protections. Um, you know, to learn what makes Matt Ryan uncomfortable versus comfortable because, you know, Mac and, and Ryan have worked together for a number of years now. They really are. Uh, their communication is excellent. And that communication between center and quarterback is key for a functioning NFL offense, regardless of system. And there's only so much that Alex Mack can do in terms of developing Matt Hennessy to get him ready for that. So I think getting him on the field so that he can communicate with Mac on the field and see how he reads front, see how he changes protection. See how he communicates with Matt Ryan on the field. Like, that is invaluable experience. Not to mention the fact that physically, I think he can play guard. So, if it was me, I would put him at left guard as a rookie to kickstart that development process, especially because he's not really getting a true offseason anyway. Um, and then, whenever Alex Mack decides to move on, whether it's 2021, 2022, who cares, whatever. Uh, getting him that on the field experience is crucial to ensure a smooth transition to the next 10 years of solid center play for Atlanta. Um, And considering how important center is in that system, like ensuring that smooth transition, I think is one of the top priorities for this organization.
1: Yeah, they've got a guy that can pick it up fairly well by all accounts, and I'm not surprised that they really like him. I'm, you know, again, we talk about good landing spots for players, not probably too many better landing spots for a guy like matt hennessy to be able to learn from a guy like alex Mack. so um pretty interesting to see how that goes i imagine he starts at guard and i imagine soon um the next guy was a guy that we were both really excited about you watched him before i did michael walker um
0: he's good he's good (laughs) he's
1: but he's a bit uh odd i you know i've got that he's a skilled dude but he doesn't really fit in a predefined box uh his size says one thing and his skills and usage in college say another thing right mm-hmm. so he's 6'3 230 which you kind of look at and go okay that's a decent sized linebacker but it's definitely not an edge but uh fresno state really used him as this kind of hybrid strong side linebacker de rusher he ended up rushing a bit more than i think people will probably imagine at that size at fresno state um again i hope atlanta has a plan for where they're going to slot him in uh because he's got some savvy he's not um his game's interesting it's not that he has crazy burst he doesn't have like that liquid first step to get straight around the corner but he's got some rush savvy. He's one of those guys that gets home more than maybe you think he should because he just gets himself one step closer or in the right space at the right time. And he's a great finisher. Yeah. And he can go forwards and backwards. And there's a lot of guys mm-hmm. that have that sort of ability and that savvy going forward, even if they're the not quote unquote prototype body size, but they couldn't, find their ass with both hands moving backwards and (laughs) michael walker is not that guy like he is effective in that short to medium zone versus the pass he made some plays there at fresno state he is athletic um and able to change direction At his size so it's really interesting to think about what Atlanta is going to do with him where does he play what do they prioritize is what they want him to do as a role in their defense you talked about their linebacking core earlier does he fit there does he really sort of go up and supplement the edge on you know third and long like how do they deploy him because when you watch him on tape it's a bit surprising you go what size is this guy again (laughs) <laughs> right. You get back and you're like, six three, two thirty, like he's rushing as a straight hand in the dirt D E. Anyone. Like, what's going on here? So very interesting to guy to find kind of late in the process. Um, and I know we were both excited when he got picked because a guy that we both watched and kind of, you know, thought, man, it's gonna be really interesting to see who values that sort of combo forward and
0: back skill set. He was the ultimate backup plan. <laughs> you know if, if if that kind of linebacker if you really needed it you're taking caleb on chase on but what happens if you miss out on chase on oh you take zach bond and you're fine okay but what happens if you miss on zach bond oh you take josh uj you're fine what happens if you miss out on all of them you take michael walker yeah you, <laughs> you know, take that, a guy who guy. yeah that doesn't have as much publicity but has a
1: I'm not going to say the same because a lot of those guys we like better for sure Uche and Bonds. He doesn't have the twitch of
0: those other guys no. but he's slippery, he's crafty. You yeah. can put him in the same position, he won't be as good at yeah, it. Yeah, he gets but home. But he can though, still play which it, which is the thing yeah. and
1: you you sort of end up going back to the the tail of the tape and going, I don't I don't believe that, right? 63 through 30, he looked He looked bigger on that rush. Like he looked stronger on that rush. Um, You know, guy like that moves like that, you know, in a deep zone or not deep zone, but a deep middle zone against the tight end. Um, He just does enough things that he was a really fascinating player. So it's pretty cool to see where he ended up. Um, It'll be even cooler to see what their plan for deploying him um, is, especially with the sort of abbreviated off season.
0: What were your thoughts on Jalen Hawkins in round four? I I thought that was about right for him. Um, I the thing is I don't really see a path to him starting there. Yeah. Because I feel like they have so many safeties. I, I mean, I guess you're looking for special teams value out of a day three pick anyway, and I think he's he's could probably be a pretty good special teamer in theory. Um, I, I thought I thought it was a little bit of an unfortunate landing spot for him just because you already have Keanu Neal. Mm-hmm. You already have Ricardo Ricardo Allen. You already have DeMonte Casey. Like, I don't see any path to playing time for him in the first year, maybe in the first two years for him, unless, I mean, I guess Atlanta's safeties can't stop getting hurt. So maybe (laughs) this is just insurance for that. Um, But I feel like he's going to be one of those guys where it's like he's a he's a better player that won't start just because there's other guys on the roster in front of him that aren't going anywhere anytime soon yeah i think that's probably the case he was a guy that showed up jalen hawkins a guy that showed up when watching cal's defense for their draft headliners
1: right we had ashton davis we had evan weaver those were the guys we were watching cal for but as you watched their tapes you went man who's this other guy he's making some plays he's aggressive he's got decent play speed more so than Mm -hmm. his time speed decent size not not size that makes you go, huh? Or size that makes you go, how's he ever going to play? He's sort of right in the middle and he will hit like, especially on the stuff around the boundary and the edges, uh, the little screen game, like he loves to destroy that stuff. So, um, showed up enough on tape to make you sort of take notice of him. Um, pretty savvy guy on the field, mostly in the right place at the right time, and a lot of reports pre-draft that Jalen Hawkins was one of those guys that was quote-unquote all about ball, that is just focused on football, loves football, loves tape study, loves spending time on his craft, and I think that helps him make more plays than his physical stature alone. He's not what I would call flashy, certainly not in terms of his measurables, but he has that, what I call, Quote unquote core special team over with possible backup upside written all over him. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that's his niche right now. And if he does well at that, maybe he steps in for an injury and plays pretty well. Uh, you know, maybe you could see some playing time, but right now he's that guy that's down towards the bottom of the 53 that gives you some versatility, um, you know, backs up all those guys that like to get hurt in their safety ranks and in the meantime is you know running down to cover kicks. Um but I liked him some uh and was interested to see where he'd
0: go. I thought fourth was a little bit early, actually. I know he went at 134. I would have I mean it was a it was about it's right fine. for me, but yeah. I'm talking like it was the top end of about right, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you that any
1: earlier and I mean any earlier, like 15 picks earlier, would have been like eh, think you reached a little bit this is the first kind of place where you could go uh, okay i can see it i would have waited a bit maybe around but if you really wanted him and you love the guy and he is that guy that just can't deal without football um you know maybe you
0: got the right guy maybe that was what you fell in love with uh and it's just they have so many talent it's like he physically physical talent wise not in the same realm of healthy keanu neal nope not the same as Ricardo Allen. Not even the same as DeMonte Casey. You know, Casey's not big, but he's got really good range, good ball skills. Um He's hyper aggressive. <laughs> yeah, hyper aggressive I don't imagine Jalen Hawkins even. No, he's Jalen he's Hawkins fourth was, out of that group. Yeah. I just I can't imagine him beating any of them out, so like maybe they really, really liked him on special teams, which makes sense. I mean he's a really aggressive hitter. I don't really I didn't notice many missed tackles from him, took good angles. Um yeah i don't know like it's not a bad pick it was just considering a little bit some early but needs. again they didn't
1: have another pick till round seven so if they didn't take him there they're not going to get him and that's what some fans don't understand about the draft is you know maybe he's not a fourth round pick but they didn't have a fifth a sixth yeah, or a, i guess yeah, i guess that makes sense. a fifth or a sixth and they weren't picking until the seventh and in the seventh i can't wait to hear your thoughts about sterling hoffrichter for the punter from syracuse yeah, I
0: didn't watch punters. <laughs> Sorry, that was a
1: setup. For all those that don't follow oh. us on Twitter, yeah,
0: we don't follow punters and kickers. Uh, just not our bailiwick. So, I, I, and that's the thing is, I do that in the interest of you guys because I don't know what I'm looking at yeah. when it comes to punting technique. Maybe one of these days I'll convince Pat McAfee to sit down with me and tell me what the hell is going on. You guys are, are going to drink beer and talk about know.
1: ultimate frisbee. <laughs> You're not going to talk about punting technique.
0: Yeah, that's true. All right, so. But uh, overall, I, I, I thought Atlanta did pretty well. Um, You know, you get a starting corner in A.J. Terrell, who I think we both like a lot. You get a rotational guy in Marlon Davidson, who you hope can turn into Trey Flowers, and if he does, that's a hell of a pick. Um, round three, Matt Hennessy, You hope can turn into Alex Mack, or even 80% of Alex Mack, and if he does, that's a good pick. Michael Walker, um, again, interesting kind of hybrid linebacker who – Worst case scenario, core special teamer. Best case scenario, solid outside linebacker starter for you. Jalen Hawkins, probably a special teamer, and then um, Sterling Hoffrichter, the punter from Syracuse. Who? Let's, best ho- case let's hope. Let's he's Pat McAfee. Yeah. Let's hope he's great. Let's <laughs> let's hope he's great. But overall, solid class for them. Um, no complaints from me. Um, I, I do want to move on to kind of round this out to New Orleans, the smallest class, only four picks um all all draft for them they had a first rounder two third rounders and a seventh rounder which comparing that to some other teams like minnesota <laughs> who had what three times four times as many as that a gazillion like, even five times yeah. as many? Like, you know they they were drafting pretty much half a roster whereas new orleans is just like hey we're ready to go to the super bowl let's just get these few guys we really really need um again very very solid class from them despite it being so small um, the Caesar Ruiz pick in the first round, a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads at first. And then the, uh, release of Larry Warford came was like a week or two weeks after that. So then we kind of, okay. Made a little bit more sense after that. He'll probably start at guard. I would imagine, um, because he has that positional flexibility, um, round three, Zach Bond should have never gone in the third Ooh. round, but they got him there. Excellent pick. And then Adam Troutman, a favorite of the show, uh to be that classic sean payton tight end who can do a lot of work for you in the seams and those kind of out and ups that he loves to run with tight ends he's certainly athletic enough to do that and then around seventh uh they round seven they rounded off with the fourth quarterback on the roster because sean payton loves quarterbacks. they got tommy stevens from mississippi state so again small class when compared uh not just to the rest of the division but when compared to the rest of the league but i don't really have any complaints with any four of these picks No, they, you know, they
1: moved up. They traded picks to be able to get guys. They wanted, uh, you know, Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis have worked together for a long time. They know what they like. They decided what they needed. You could tell they had their targets. Uh, Ruiz is, um, again, that guy that moved up to the top of the center slash interior offensive line rankings. They really wanted him. They had, I'm sure, well in their minds at that point, that they wanted to get rid of Wofford. It was interesting when Ruiz got picked, because I've got a friend who's a diehard Saints fan and and a big tape watcher, one of the more informed fans that I know. I trust his opinions for sure. And I said, what do you think of the Ruiz pick? He said, I get it. And I said, why? And he said, on the plays that blew up last year, the plays that didn't go for anything, it
0: was Wofford getting worked. And I was like, Whoa. and I think he only had one year left on his deal. And too. I was like, really? And he said,
1: yeah. yeah. Of the again, this is sort of second level tape watching. This isn't the highlights that come on the the local news channel at the end of the, of, of game day. Um, he said, you know, more often than not, it was Warford who was the weak link in the line on the inside. And I said, ha, huh, that's interesting. And of course, about a week and a half after that conversation, they released him. And I was like, ha, huh. <laughs> well, okay then uh that pick makes a whole lot more sense um moving on to zach bond like zach bond is a guy i think is terribly underrated you said he shouldn't have gone as late i completely agree uh my basic comment is he was underrated this year period i really Mm -hmm. thought he'd go to one of the new england tree teams that's detroit miami new england because he has that blended skill set going forward and backwards that we talked about where he can be effective in multiple ways but don't take that to mean that he's one of those jack of all trades and master of none his rush game not appreciated enough he's very effective as a defensive attacker and what do i mean by that he's fluid he's got burst and dip he's got variation uh good hand usage he's really quick to the inside his counter to the inside Mm -hmm. is one of the better nasty one of the better (laughs) moves of any rusher in this draft class he knows how to finish and you talk about you talk to scouts about players they really like as rushers no matter whether they're defensive ends or edges or even five techs right they love guys who can finish they like guys that get close they like pressures pressures are definitely valued almost as much or greater than sacks because in the modern nfl with the ball coming out so quickly you're gonna see more pressures than sacks but they want guys that can finish and bond understands how to finish and he's got a really wide variety of tools that he uses fairly often there's a lot of guys that might have a varied skill set but they do one thing nine times out of ten that is not hard for an offense to stop a guy that has say three good moves and uses them equally is so much tougher to stop for an offense and zach bonds
0: that guy he's got a really so it, He's kind of interesting because a lot of edge rushers, they'll build off of power or they'll build off of speed. Yep. You know, what's your kind of main thing? And then you develop counters off of that. His main thing is the inside move. Mm -hmm. That's his best move. But he'll build off of that. And I, I saw this a little bit with Dante Fowler as he's kind of developed in the league too. Where like, Dante Fowler, when you watch him at Florida... I don't think his last year he got a single sack rushing off the edge. It was mostly power or working inside. Because, again, he had a really good inside counter at Florida. And then he kind of developed an edge rush counter, I guess you could call it, uh, in the pros off of that. And now he can kind of do a little bit of everything. But, really, he was better at the inside move. Zach Bonds, the same same way. But he developed his edge rushing skills earlier as a college player that Fowler did not do at Florida. And so what he'll do is he'll kind of jab inside and kind of flash that inside counter and then do almost like a euro step while dipping his shoulder and bending. And he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's really bendy and he's really short, relatively speaking. And so he's a very small target for when he's kind of then dipping around to the edge and he's a really small target for a tackle to try to get the try to get his hands on. And, like, guys will just flat out miss him. And it's a very interesting skill set to me because he's not explosive enough or long enough to just be a pure speed rusher. No. You know, like, say, a Caleb on chase on. But when you mix in that kind of jabs and the bobs and the weaves, almost like a boxer, like, and again, he's just so hard to hit. He's just slippery and tackles. They don't want to overset because then that kind of opens up the inside move that he's so good at. But they don't want to um, they don't want to short set him because he's so slippery that if they miss, he's going to get around the edge anyway. So uh, is he a primary pass rusher? Probably not, just considering I think his size and power limitations. But as um, as an extra guy that you're throwing in on top of Cam Jordan, that you're throwing in on top of all their other defensive line, they have a pretty underrated defensive line in my opinion. Like, he's the kind of guy where he's gonna get like seven or eight sacks as a Sam linebacker. I'm assuming they're gonna play him at Sam linebacker, which is really damn good. And to get that in the third round, a guy that plays the run well, like, you can drop him into coverage and he won't look out of place. He's not as good as it, as good um, at, in coverage as, say, like, a Josh Uche or a Caleb on Chase on, but he can do it. And if you're getting like seven or eight sacks in a good year out of that guy coming from the second level, that's a hell of a pick in the third round. Like that is a phenomenal value. Yeah. So you're, you're starting off getting, you know, Cesar Ruiz, who, as far as I'm concerned, is just the third pouncy brother that what doesn't belong <laughs> to that family, but that's what <laughs> he is. And Zach Bond, who may or may not be like an Anthony Barr type guy, but even better as a pass rusher. Hell, that's a that's a damn good one-two punch yeah. for for a team that only had four picks. And I that's the thing is he fits well in their system. That I.
1: I have every confidence that they're going to use him correctly. There's a lot of teams he could have gone to where I would have been like, I'm not sure they fully understand what he is. I'm pretty sure that New Orleans fully understands what he is. Uh, That gives me a lot of confidence that he's gone to the right place and that he will produce numbers that are in that, you know, five, six, seven, maybe even eight if he gets lucky sack range. And people might think that that's a backhanded compliment. You wouldn't realize unless you really look through the stats How valuable five, six, seven, eight sacks are, uh, because that means there's going to be a commensurate number of pressures. And, Mm -hmm. you know, plus he's going to be providing you some coverage. The ability to sort of faint and drop back and that's the thing is the tackle never knows right is he is he going to do the jab step and drop back and cover the tight end is he going to do the jab step and move to the inside and run that damn inside counter that he's so good at or is he going to do sort of the the half fake for that and then actually go around the outside of me because he can do that too like that just it's like a pitcher in baseball setting up a hitter with three pitches that look exactly the same um zach bond's
0: that kind of guy so and not to mention as a linebacker, if he's lining up next to Cam Jordan, guess what? He's getting blocked by a running back.
1: Yeah. And that is not I a don't, matchup any offense I don't offense like wants. that. And there are very few, <laughs> maybe Zeke Elliott, but there are very few running backs that I'm like, oh yeah, take take Zach on 101. I'm totally comfortable with that. Um, he's going to get around most of them because he is bigger, faster, stronger. Um, yeah, I think he's terribly underrated. Third round pick, great value. The other guy, Adam Troutman, is a guy that we actually got to talk to. I got to interview him twice at the Senior Bowl. Um, Certainly a bootleg football favorite. Um, I got wowed by his tape in the lead-up to the event. I looked at him, and I thought, Dayton? Dayton? (laughs) Like,
0: this guy doesn't move like he's
1: from Dayton. Like, how big is he? And that's the thing is he looks a little bit smaller on tape. He almost looks like, like an Adam Thielen type. He looks like a, you know... A tallish white guy that's I don't know maybe 220 225. Bottom line is he's 6'6 253. There's not many guys, especially in the tight end ranks, especially this year, that are fully that size. And he enjoys blocking in a way that shows. Uh, I asked him. I asked him about it. I asked him what he thought about blocking or could he describe the sort of why he sort of enjoyed blocking so much on tape. And he thought about it for a minute. He's a thoughtful guy. He's an engineering student. He's very smart. He looked at me and he said, moving another man off the spot. He wants to occupy against his will is better than catching a touchdown. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. And I was like, dude, (laughs) I haven't even seen you on the field yet. This was the the media gathering before the, the first sort of Wednesday practice. I was like, I want to watch you even more now. Um, just that ability and this is a guy that's a converted former quarterback right went to the coach and said hey coach we've got another quarterback we don't have a tight end i've grown a bit i think i could help the team more here and his coach was like okay um just a really interesting guy and my other favorite thing once he got on the field at the senior bowl was at that time and i know it's hard to think back because the draft has happened and whatever happened happened. Bryson Hopkins was a kind of a consensus number one at the senior bowl in terms of tight end. And honestly, some folks even had him as the number one overall tight end in the draft. Uh, I was sort of between him and Cole Komet. Cole Komet was not at the senior bowl, but Bryson Hopkins was definitely the sort of alpha dog at tight end at the senior bowl. And Troutman made a very concerted effort. They were on the same team and Troutman made a very concerted effort to take every rep right after Bryson Hopkins. Didn't matter if it was a blocking drill, a pass reception drill, whatever. He was was Bryson Hopkins' shadow. And to me, that was just him saying he wanted scouts to see him compete. He wanted them to be able to easily compare him straight up to the best guy there. And he did it on purpose. He was there every day and he was just right behind Hopkins in every drill. And I thought... That's a guy that's not going to shy away from anything. He knows he's got work to do. He knows he's from a smaller level of competition at Dayton. And he wants to stand up and say, oh yeah? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> really? Go ahead. Compare that rep to this rep. Go ahead. It's right behind it. You don't even have to do any work with the clicker, right? Um, and I I just think he, I think Sean Payton fell in love with that. And I don't think that's wrong. Uh, he's got a really good chance to be the best two-way tight end out of this draft and i have a lot of respect for the bears pick cole commit like i i think commit is going to be a good solid player that contributes over time i think troutman can be exactly the same and troutman came around later
0: i actually one of the big things that i think they fell in love with is troutman as a person that dude's a captain yep maybe not as a rookie but he's he's going to be a captain um I've had the pleasure. I ran into his family when I was. Filming oh, that's the right. The I Kinder forgot Bowl. about that. All his teammates came down. All his teammates came down. I, I ran into his family. And then later on down the line, I ran into his teammates, uh, enjoyed a shot with them <laughs> and some elderly gentleman. <laughs> true uh,
1: bootleg style.
0: I, I don't know what the hell we were shooting, but it, it was something that this old guy who I can only describe as 80 year old Boomhauer. um <laughs> gave me and them and like they were loaded already by the time I got there they were having a hell of a time It was like 11 30 in the morning I was like when'd you guys start they drove down this is like half the Dayton football team drove down 14 hours straight to watch Adam play to a man every single one of them said they would run through a wall for that guy he he had such a, a commanding presence in that program, he was the unquestioned leader of the team. Um, everybody loved him like a brother and, and i don 't say that lightly like they consider him family. He was the first in last out every single day, helping everybody in every conceivable way you know even after he finished his workouts, he would go back in and if somebody needed a spotter, he would go back in and do another workout with them even though he was already dog tired and then do a film session if they had questions like he he was that kind of guy just a consummate professional even as a collegiate athlete um and and he's also just super talented obviously like he's going to be a captain for the saints and and be a captain for them for a long time um there's very few guys that i think are equipped to handle being a rookie in the NFL without having a true off season. But he's the kind of hard worker where you're not really going to notice that he, he didn't have an off season. He's going to show up already know the playbook, know everybody's responsibility on every single play. And he's just so damn talented. Like that, that was a phenomenal pick by them, not just because he's a good player, but just because of who he is as a person. Um, He's going to be a core foundational person in that locker room for a very, very long time. Yep.
1: Love Troutman. And again, to, to come away with only three picks and feel so solidly about all three picks is a real credit to Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton. I, you know, full disclosure, did not watch Tommy Stevens. I mean, saw a few reps of him, uh, when I watched Mississippi state against other teams, but not enough to form an opinion on him.
0: Yeah. I I didn't really either. And just considering all the other quarterbacks they have on the roster, like he's, He's a camp, camp arm, arm, probably a practice squad guy. There's nothing wrong with that. No, nope. uh, but just realistically speaking, that's that's probably what he is. But the other three guys they drafted, uh, man, uh, as far as far as a a trio of draft picks to start off a draft, they they were certainly up there across the league in terms of best one, two, three uh, groupings yeah, for solid for any quality NFL team. Sure. So it's great quality. So overall, uh, I don't really have any complaints with any of the draft classes in the NFC South. Uh some I think were better than others, but none of them I think were explicitly bad. I would probably say um oh god, you know what? We didn't do Tampa. Oh, we're getting there. I was going to catch Son you. Of a bitch. We got we got
1: players here. I got
0: I got Oh god, we're we're an hour 20 in. We didn't even get to Tampa. I know. Oh, I got Jesus. I got
1: vested interest here. You're not getting away from the Bucks with me sitting here. That's not Oh happening.
0: god, you you poor soul. I forgot about Antoine Winfield. I know. I got access oh, we're gonna to open grind that here. wound. We're going to open that wound. Yeah. Okay, so let's hit Tampa real quick because I know this podcast is dragging on. Um, Tristan Wirf's round one. Round two, Antoine Winfield Sr., one of our favorite players in this whole class, regardless of position. Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt in round three. Tyler Johnson, round five, the wide receiver out of Minnesota, who just absolutely tore Auburn a new one last season. Uh, round six, Khalil Davis, really good value, uh, interior defensive lineman from Nebraska. And then round seven, they had a pair of seventh rounders in Chappelle Russell and Raymond Calais. So give me your thoughts, uh, from a top down view of what you thought of what Tampa Bay did in this draft.
1: Uh, they got a lot of quality and really, you know, you look at the top of a draft to see how a team sort of, uh, positioned their, high value picks but also how they sort of gathered that mid-round value and if you go werfs winfield vaughn and johnson and stop right there and don't sort of look at the more the later round sixth and seventh role players in davis russell and Calais, like that's a really good sort of strong starting for for the draft werfs is an athletic freak Uh, he's just a legit strength and movement monster. Very, we're talking about professional athletes. We're talking about guys that are at the top, you know, 1% of the athletic thresholds. This guy's at the top, you know, top 10th of that 1%. He's got some technique issues that you chronicled, uh, in some of your film rooms at OT that are not small, mostly with his footwork could likely overcome them, but that's going to take some time. And they got a guy at quarterback. What's his name? Um, some, some guy.
0: Oh yeah. I think, uh, Thomas, uh, Brody, uh, bro. Right. Name?
1: Tom, 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 yeah. Bay. Anyways, I hate
0: the Tampa Bay thing, but Tom Brady <laughs> is going to get
1: crushed a few times in the process. If Tristan worth starts a tackle and Tom's not going to be super happy about that. Um, so I think worth most likely position is guard. um, and kick him inside, he's going to be able to physically dominate folks a lot sooner with a lot fewer losses. He's got a phone booth to protect and he is, he's a superhero man in terms of his physical strength, his ability to move. Um, honestly, you know, as a Bears fan, I think he has peak Kyle long physical potential and that's rare stuff. Like when Kyle was healthy, he massacred 330 pound men, um, regularly. And I think Worfs has that kind of stuff physically. So the guard spots where he's going to show out sooner and more often, um, right guard is probably a little more likely because Alex Kappa, who has potential for sure, but he look physically, he's not a whiff of what worfs is. Worfs is a beast. And if Bruce Arians and staff want to get worfs on the field, right guard is probably where he starts out.
0: I I do think he's a, he would be a much better right guard than Alex Kappa, but that being said, I don't know who they would get to play right tackle. Like maybe Joe Haig. maybe maybe because um, <laughs> that's the thing is they don't they, they don't really have anybody, and I think that's why they took worse in generals because they they don't have anybody to play right tackle. Yeah, I don't. might
1: actually like Kappa better at right tackle. I think he might be. I mean, I, I wouldn't hate it. I, I would honestly, I would sort it out in camp. Go ahead. Talk about Worf's feet for a minute because you watch this guy Oof. and we're like, yeah. uh, dude, have you watched Werf's feet? And I was like, well, not yet. Why?
0: Yeah, there's there's some problems there. Um, When I did the film room episode, I was comparing uh, Worf's feet to, to um, Jedrick Wills, who's like a premium technician, you know, just a, yeah, that's perfect every single rep. It's not fair. And Werfs is a better athlete, but I mean the guy exposes himself to in- inside counters way too much. Um, they call it giving a soft shoulder, where you're you're basically it's almost like a vertical set, but even more vertical than it's supposed to be in a vertical set. And what that does is it kind of locks your hip, and you're you're not able to open up and mirror inside counters a- as much as as you're supposed to and if you can't step 90 degrees laterally to match an inside counter if you're stepping forward that means if you miss you're toast and he got got a few times last year on that and and there were several times when there were pressures created on inside counters that I mean he was holding on for dear life against some guys that are not the same level of pass rusher that he's going to be seeing in the NFL. And he was such a good athlete that he was still able to just kind of like almost dive and push guys out of the way so the quarterback could escape. It's not going to be the same thing in the NFL. Like if he loses, he's not, he's going up against, you know, Cam Jordan. If you lose against Cam Jordan, you're not going to be able to just push him out of the way. Like Jordan's going to eat your soul and kill Tom Brady. I was going to say, he's going to eat Tom Brady's soul.
1: And that's not going to last very long. And that's my only thing against Wirfs at tackle is like, Worfs could, I think, develop into a guy certainly with his physical skills i wouldn't bet against him into a guy that could overcome that and play right tackle really well but look brady's got limited time and you know despite his legendary physical conditioning is not going to be a guy that wants to take five open shots a week from the right tackle position and he might do that in the first quarter of the season and that would be a uh, that would be possibly
0: devastating to Tampa's hopes down the stretch, right? Like I think he can be a fine right tackle if he fixes his feet. If. But would you rather and that's an if. Would you rather have a fine right tackle or a legendary right guard? I'm I'm going with legendary
1: because I think a guard Honestly, his potential, I don't want to say it's limitless. I think that's a cop pretty out. pretty damn
0: close, it's though. <laughs>
1: really damn high. He is a superhero. I have folks that I work with that are, um, you know, CrossFit instructors, powerlifting uh, instructors, uh, you know, I work with a bunch of fitness freaks. And I showed them some Worf's workout videos from Iowa, and they were like, what the... <laughs> You know, they looked at him. They're like, that's not real, is it? And I was like, nope, that's a real dude. Right. And his, you know, power cleaning, like ridiculous sums. It, he's a superhero in the weight room. And those are the kind of guys at guard that just blow people off the ball and bury them. The, the you know, the, the quasi Quentin Nelsons of the world, like he has that yep. level of physical ability, and it, that just doesn't grow on trees. So I think you move him to guard. Um, I want to move on to my crying in my beer moment. Can I do it?
0: <laughs> Take all the time you need for this. Take all the time you know need. Hurts. I
1: know how sad you are about this. Uh, The Bears could have had Antoine Winfield at forty-three, and they picked Cole Kmet instead. I talked about Kmet a little bit earlier. I think Kmet's going to be a fine player. This is not anti Cole Kmet. I think he's going to make solid contributions to the Bears' offense in time. But Winfield, if he stays healthy, has a chance to be really special. He is not the tallest, but he doesn't need to be. We talked about some instincts earlier on with Jeremy Chin and how they might not be the best. Winfield is the opposite. Winfield sees it way before it's happening. He has great instincts, always around the ball, and that's not an accident. Processing speed is top notch. Loves to destroy the run or screen game very solid delivers really big hits just like his dad did with power even though his dad was dad was undersized as well i actually think he's a bit more solidly built than his dad Mm -hmm. and he's just i think he's got crazy long-term potential to be great not good and so i was sad for sure uh when the bears passed on him at 43 for a tight end that i thought they could have got later uh, they had a pick at 50 as well, for those of you that are following along at home. And if they could have had Winfield Sr. and then commit, oh, sure. No problem. Um, I Look, I like the player they picked at corner out of Utah. That's fine. But getting a guy like Antoine Winfield Jr. is... Um, defense changing. Yeah. I just think he makes everybody better and everybody will say, Oh, they already have Eddie Jackson. And I'm like, yes. And <laughs> <laughs> come on, it's a passing league. If you put Jackson and Winfield together and then you have Fuller. And if you stay with your picket corner <laughs> at 50, which I think they could have done all of a sudden, you've got a secondary that just massacres in the NFC North for the next foreseeable future. Like Fuller is the oldest guy in those four and the other three, Oh man, really, really strong. So this is my crying in the beer moment. Uh, that is to say Tampa got a tremendous player, uh, who I think has potential to be not just a pro bowl material, uh, but all pro, uh, certainly within a year or two. And, and for many years, like he's shown everything you need at safety. He just has to stay healthy.
0: It kind of reminds me of the moment that um, when Harrison Smith got drafted by the Vikings in that year where they had three first round picks and you just kind of had that like sinking feeling of like, hmm, that one's going to hurt me for a long time. (laughs) That's the kind of feeling I got with Anton Winfield where it's like, oh, that's every time we play Tampa, he's going to be a problem. That's a dude that's that's going to end up with like six tackles, a sack, force fumble and a pick. Yep. And and just just playing free safety, playing nickel, playing everything Um, very not not quite the same as Tyron Matthew, but not far off. Yeah, savvy, savvy player and really maximizes his
1: physical gifts with his football intelligence and his ability to know what's coming. And that's the difference between him and a guy like Chin. Look, Chin is bigger, uh, probably stronger uh, a little bit faster maybe but his place sp- Antoine gets there I faster. was gonna say but his play <laughs> speed because of that take in his processing and because Winfield is so much faster at that it's not even close like Winfield is there easily a full step before chin is even though physically he may not be as fast because mentally he's that much faster
0: yeah excellent excellent pick um, the Keyshawn Vaughn pick I found interesting because it kind of, it, it kind of harkens back to the type of backfields that would surround Brady in New England, where there's, they, they don't necessarily have the guy, they have a group of guys. So you have Rojo, and now you have Keyshawn Vaughn, who I think is an excellent complement to Rojo. He's bigger, he's stronger, a little bit more downhill. He's got some shiftiness to him, but not a whole lot. I think he's really more of a north-south kind of guy. Um, And he's one of those guys where it's like, I'm going to break one tackle, and then whereas you know Rojo's like, I'm going to avoid one tackle. So I think he's an excellent complement in that way. The main thing that I really like about Keyshawn Vaughn is for the first time in a while, I feel like they have a guy that he's not just you bring him in in goal line, you bring him in in third and one he can actually rip off big gains for you while also being an effective short yardage back um now in terms of carry splits i would still imagine rojo's going to get the majority of them but for like a classic number two running back that can take uh, the load off of your number one and still be a valuable piece in the red zone um still be a valuable piece in the fourth quarter like For a third-round pick, I I actually really like that pick. He wasn't my highest-graded running back at that spot, but in terms of the role that he's going to fill for that offense and the type of backfields you typically see surrounding Tom Brady, excellent pick.
1: Yeah, I love the Keyshawn Vaughn pick. He is absolutely their solid number two. They really like Ronald Jones and well should. He came back with a very nice bounce-back season. Peyton Barber moving on. I'll disagree a little bit with the North-South characterization of Keyshawn Vaughn. I thought he had a really uh, diverse skill set. And he's going to be Jones' main backup really quickly if he's not already. Uh, He's got power. He's got good speed when he opens it up in in the open field, which would sort of lean towards that North-South designation. But he's got cutbacks with vision. He'll throw in a stiff arm. And he will show or combine any one of those skills on a given run to make it more than sort of the sum of its parts. Whereas it might have been a seven yard gain, ends up being a 17 yard gain because he threw in a cutback or because he threw in a stiff arm or because both. He's got good speed when he gets in that open field. Plays through contact with balance, which is, I think, really key. Again, slightly different than that Rojo skill set. Very tough and competitive, especially around the goal line. So it's not just that he's a goal line back, but he adds value. there. There's a great play on tape where he gets whacked at the two. Basically knocked backwards. Ends up running through three other guys, sort of bounces off and goes around the I remember end. remember that one. Yeah, yeah it just, it just a nose for the goal line. Um, quick feet in the passing game. Um, pretty strong in pass pro, but needs to, needs to not stay as high. If he gets a little bit lower on leverage, he'll be fine. Just a very good all around back, despite having Rojo there. So, uh, loved his fit with number two. And the bottom line is look with number two, the old number two in Tampa, moving on Peyton Barber, the next guy on the roster in terms of rushing leader yards was Dare uh, Ogunbale. And he had 17 yards last season. So they needed this pick more than I think a lot of people might have said that or thought they needed a number two, and he slots in perfectly. He's like a he's like a custom made number two for that offense. Really, really
0: solid pick. The, uh, the an interesting pick for me, um, two rounds because they didn't have a fourth round pick. Two rounds after Keyshawn Vaughn was Tyler Johnson, and to me, Tyler Johnson is the elephant in the room. <laughs> Uh, defensively speaking. And let me explain why. He's that guy who's, he's there. You see him. He's catching balls. He's racking up yards. He's not really making himself known, but you definitely see him and you're more focused on everybody else around him. And then at some point in the fourth quarter, the defensive coordinator is going to be like, hey, are we going to address the elephant in the room? Because Tyler Johnson has nine catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns and nobody's paying attention to him
1: yeah he's a very interesting dude i had watched him uh pre-draft there were a lot of wide receivers as everybody knows i definitely spent some time with tyler johnson he was a bit of a uh draft neck favorite or a bit of a sleeper that said hey everybody's everybody's sleeping on tyler johnson you shouldn't he's really good and i watched him and i thought well you know yeah he's a solid receiver but again nothing about tyler johnson really sticks out uh, as you just sort of look at him on maybe any given play, his routes aren't that sharp. He's not that big. He's just over six foot, two oh six. I mean, good size for a receiver, but not great. He's not blazing quick like a Hamler or a Rager. Uh, he's got good hands. I mean, solid hands. He can high point the ball. Um, you know, he catches balls short, he catches balls deep, and you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. He he you know, especially in this wide receiving class that had so much talent. And then I went back and watched his game against Auburn, the bowl game. And he massacred them. And the reason I went back and watched the Auburn bowl game is the entire Auburn secondary ended up in the NFL, like both safeties, both corners. They all went to the NFL. So that's a very good secondary to watch a college receiver against and say, how did he do? And he freaking destroyed them from the gun. Like he started catching balls in the first, forget the fourth. He caught slants. He caught a post route for a touchdown. He ended up on a crazy touchdown on a little sort of inside jet sweep where he sort of leapt, did this, you know, Walter Payton imitation and leapt over a bunch of guys and got the ball to break the plane. He had a crazy one handed catch in the back of the end zone for another touchdown. Um, Ends up with like three touchdowns, I think. I don't know, 10, I don't even know the stats for that game. 10 catches gotta be 135 yards. If it's a yard, um, just massacred one of the best, toughest secondaries in the country. And again, didn't look like all that crazy spectacular, but on a couple of plays, he had one ball, he high pointed over the middle that he had no business catching. And then the other one was that one handed catch in the back of the end zone. That was really like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. But he's just that guy that is always producing. Like every time you turn around, he's catching short balls for first downs. He's catching balls along the sidelines. He's catching little out routes. He's catching these 50-yard goes for touchdown or 50-yard posts for touchdown. You just look at Johnson and you're like, how do you ignore this guy? But he's kind of semi-ignorable on a lot of fronts. Again, not a tremendous route runner. Good solid route runner, but not great. Very solid hands. Not great burst. Not great size all these things that you're looking for that sort of one trump card. And it's not that it's that he's good at everything. And he does it everywhere, all over the field, all through the game and ends up with these ridiculous stat lines. So I think he's a, I don't want to say sleeper because he was certainly known, but I think he's one of those guys that's not getting enough credit.
0: Well, I mean, when you look at the other receivers on the team, guess what? He's going to be ignored.
1: Yeah, he's going to see single (laughs) coverage. You're going to pay attention to Mike Evans. Yeah, I mean, he's going to see
0: single coverage.
1: And good for him because uh, I'm sure Bruce Arians is just licking his chops to have Tyler Johnson get single coverage because uh, even as a rookie, he's going to be good enough to beat that in multiple ways, right? There's just not a ton of routes you could tell him to run that he wouldn't be terrible good at. So uh, just a really interesting kind of... Again, I don't want to say sleeper or necessarily under the radar, but I'll just say quiet, right? Just kind of a quiet player yeah. that's one of those assassins that you look down at the box score and go, what? Did he really catch that many balls? He had, wait, he had two
0: touchdowns, not one? Oh, yeah, he did. Like, he's that guy. And he's going to be damn good at it in the pros, too. Um, Did you watch Khalil Davis? I can't remember. Uh, no, you did. I did not. Yeah. So here's, here's my thing with Khalil Davis. He actually went... Uh, I, I mentioned earlier, I can't remember who it was, who kind of went on the, the top end of where I thought he should oh, go. Oh, it was Jalen the we were talking about. Yeah, Jaylen, you know, Khalil Davis is the opposite. He went on the lower end of where I thought he should go, in the sense I think he was a value um, at where he was taken, which is pick 194. I thought he could have gone anywhere between like 150 and 200. Mm. So he went a, a little bit on the low end of that. And here's the thing with him he he will never be the star ever but super high motor player and he's kind of an interesting guy because he's fast but he's not explosive yeah the first 5 yards for him are not great once he's up to 10 yards then you're like oh he's moving for a 300 pounder and because he plays with such great effort i mean he closes plays down from the backside when he's really able to open up and run that a lot of guys his size can't do so even if he doesn't win early he'll win late and because he's really smart and he's really really high effort I mean he gets a lot of effort sacks I mean he'll he'll clean up disruption Um, he's good on stunts he had a sack against Ohio State where he was really patient on a gate stunt and got through and just absolutely obliterated Justin Fields so, you know, he's he's a good, solid player that is one of those rotational guys that almost like an Alan Bailey, like I mentioned before, where he's not going to be a star, but he's going to make some plays for you, and he's not going to lose that much. So he's not the biggest guy. He's not the quickest guy, but he's fast. He's smart. He's high effort. Um, I, I really like him as an addition to an already strong interior defensive line in Tampa Bay, and if you're, if you're just kind of rolling him in, to give, uh, you know, the first string a blow, like you can put him in for two or three drives and be fine. Again, he'll never be a star for you, but he's going to be solid and he's going to be dirt cheap. And that's how really good rosters are built by having solid dirt cheap guys that can come in and give your starters a rest so that your starters can play to their maximum potential. Really, really like that pick for them. Yeah, you need down eaters like that
1: who are capable and are not going to get their backsides handed to them. Um, and can occasionally again, when they're not the focus or, uh, the guy across from doesn't make a great play can, can make a play, even if it's just a good, solid play, not a highlight play. Um, and from your description, that's what Davis reminds me of. Um, the guy they drafted after that, I did watch, Raymond Kelly is, uh, and I have it in capital letters fast. <laughs> <laughs> if you watched him at the combine, he ran really fast and he's a little bit undersized 58 188, but explosive, big burst. Now the weird thing in college was he was part of a sort of three headed backfield at Louisiana. He split time with two other very good runners who were very different types of runners. Um, but he showed up on tape when I was watching the sort of guard tackle combo of Dotson and Hudson or Dotson and Hunt, the two other players that, uh, the guard and the tackle that were drafted from Louisiana, um, has some real pop, but he's a darter slasher type. He is not going to be the guy to push through, you know, a double team and, and break loose. He makes people pay with speed and he's got it in spades. He's very different than the other backs on the roster that we've talked about. But I think his real impact as a late round pick is on special teams. So I looked up his special teams production in college, and this is a weird one. He's been returning kicks since he was a freshman, which is not all that atypical college, but it's not super regular that a guy has four straight years of kick returns. He had 99 returns in college, which accounts for doing it for four years. He had a 25.2 yard average and two touchdowns. Uh, the two touchdowns is a little low the 25.2 yard average is really good the weird thing was they were all kick returns 99 <laughs> kick returns zero punt returns so this was a guy that the staff was really confident look you're going to get a quarter of the field if you touch the ball so just take it and run Uh, We know you're not going to score all that often. You're not probably going to break the big one, but you're going to give us really good field position and you can just use that burst to exploit any hole in the coverage. Um, So ton of experience on special teams, which is what any late round pick in the NFL needs. Um, Anybody that's really hoping this guy is going to contribute a lot on the primary offense is, is probably hoping for too much, but he's got zip. If you watch him on tape and he gets a hole, he will make you pay uh you know not going to break a ton of tackles as we said but um you know definitely got people's attention at the combine by running a blazing 40 uh and that shows up on tape it's play speed that matches track speed
0: and as we mentioned before again you know all uh, tom brady he he does really well when he has a bunch of different pieces in the backfield to work with you've got ronald jones you've got Keyshawn vaughn and now you got raymond calais who's more of the jitterbug type um having all these different diverse skill sets that he can work with i think is is key for them and that trio which i imagine would be their their top 3 backs by opening day um that trio i think is diverse it is explosive it's tough uh and and probably the best and most talented overall backfield the bucks have had in quite some time. Like I'm, I'm trying to think back, like if they ever had a solid number two for Doug Martin in in the couple years, that Doug Martin was great. But before that, like when's the last time that Tampa was three deep at running back with, I think three, like actual no bullshit contributors. I can't remember the last time that happened. Yeah. I'll
1: go with two. I don't think Calais is a no bullshit contributor quite yet. I, I think he's got versatile value. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they, uh, Arians, uh, Arians is an interesting guy offensively, but it'll be interesting to see if they scheme anything up for a guy with that much zip. Um,
0: or if they, I think that you could just, you could just run him on a, like go into empty and run him on a drag and dare the linebacker to run with him and just let him go. Yeah. It, it would be
1: really interesting to see if they leverage that speed or if he ends up in the practice squad, you know, doesn't quite make it. I I wouldn't be surprised again, undersized and has, you know, sort of one major value, which is speed. And a secondary value, which is uh, kick returnability, but apparently not punt returnability. Maybe (laughs) he can't catch. I don't know. It seems odd, though, to me. It doesn't doesn't seem that different. But uh, no, Calais is an interesting guy. I was interested to see where he goes, uh, where he went after the blazing fast time he put up uh, at the Combine 40. Um, but no, overall, a really interesting division, um, very easy to do all these write ups, a lot of interesting players can't wait to see, uh, you know, sort of the understories like Tyler Johnson of the worlds, um, you know, Adam Troutman, how does he develop over time? And, you know, what, what does Atlanta do with Michael Walker? Like, these are really, you know, fascinating questions for folks like us that spend a lot of time on the draft. Um, but overall, I think, you know, all four teams came away with players they can use, players that fit their system. Um, it didn't feel like anybody wildly misspent their draft capital in this division. What about you?
0: Yeah, I, I have no complaints, at least no huge complaints with any of these draft classes. There's a few picks here and there. Uh, I think each team maybe has one where I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. But like overall, uh, I, I came away understanding each pick knowing why they made it, and I don't really have any vehement disagreements like I did for you know a couple teams in the AFC South, um, or at least one team in the <laughs> AFC South where I just vehemently disagreed with most of the draft. So you know, overall, again, really, really solid classes. Um, before we get out of here, I'll just say Panthers versus Saints is appointment television because you're going to get to see Yitor Grossmato's have a rematch against Tristan Wirfs. They only had a couple snaps against each other uh, in Iowa versus Penn State last year, and literally in the first play, Yitor ate his ass up on an inside move so keep an eye out for that because i'm really encouraged or at least uh, excited to see what happens in the rematch we're gonna get it twice this year so pay attention to that but overall really big fan of this nfc south um ej thank you again for joining me i hope you were able to finish your drink i have not yet so i'm gonna down this thing as i get out of here but uh yeah uh again everybody thank you for for sticking with us and um hopefully you're staying safe hopefully you're being kind to one another and uh as i finish this drink we will see you i guess in a couple days for the last couple divisions ah. uh we got the nfc west and the afc west to go through. go west young man and, go west yeah and then and then we're done and then we're done with these draft recaps and we can by the time we're done it's gonna be almost training camp believe it or not so oh it's been, it's been a long process but we're almost there so again thank you for joining us two more divisions left we'll see you later this week for that and until then later